We have noted on a couple of occasions throughout the course of this month, as we have called it our time, we have noted on a couple of occasions how even an unbelieving world, though they may reject who Jesus Christ is, though the, the uh, very reality of what it is we celebrate, somehow they buy into this idea that at Christmas is a time for hope. And they too long for something. Now, I fear that all too often it's hope and hope which gets you nowhere. We know why we hope. There is a ground to our hope. And there is a ground to our joy. And and all too often, I'm afraid, it's just this empty thing. Well, there's another thing I've noticed that the unbelieving world grabs, if you will, from our time. And it is this thing called wonder. Ever compare, contrast two very well-known Christmas stories? You got, you got a Christmas carol in which you've all heard Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Not missing anything here, right? He was visited by the three spirits. It changed his life. You also have heard of It's a Wonderful Life, where George Bailey is visited by Clarence, the angel. Changed his life. They both were given a picture of their lives. And Ebenezer Scrooge was, Scrooge was given a picture of all the potential that he had, all of his wealth, and how he's used it for no good value at all, and how empty his life has been. And he became a changed man and became a generous man in light of the, the wonder of having been confronted by another world, by these otherworldly spirits. George Bailey, on the other hand, had next to nothing. He lived his life always squeaking by, barely making, able to keep ends uh, together, make ends meet, if you will. And he decided that he'd be better off if he had never been born. And so he was given a picture by this angel. I'm not going with the theology here, friends. You got it? But, well, yeah, I get it. I get it. But it changed his life because he realized no matter how little he actually physically had, the way he had lived his life had been rich. It had been significant. And literally hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds had been affected. The entire town was affected because of his presence in that town, even though he never had the money, the thing. But, but the wonder of, of a man's life and its significance. movie I like to watch every year is Christmas with the Cranks. I watch it for a simple reason. Their daughter leaves. Just reminds me, I miss my daughter. I miss her. Okay, but then she comes home, totally disrupts their plans to take a vacation into the Caribbean. And the dad is trying to hold on to these plans as long as he can, and finally he lets them go. Blesses somebody else with this trip that they were going to be taking. And it's a couple who, where the wife is, she is suffering from cancer and so they take this trip, and at the end, he get, he's changed in the wonder of all of this. And he says to his wife, looking, out, looking into their living room from out on the street with the snow falling and a party going on, and he said, this night was filled with surprises. Wonder. Christmas, our time, opens us up to wonder. Even an unbelieving world embraces this. Well, I'd like to suggest this morning, and I'm not asking for, I'm really not. We're relaxing here today. Is that okay? Sometimes we need to do that. 
We're not going to put scriptures up. We're not going to go through a lot of scriptures. You'll be able to follow. I'd just like to develop two simple thoughts. Number one, Christmas is our time to wonder about what God has done. Luke chapter 2. We were reading here uh, just a few nights ago for Christmas Eve, as probably every church in America read the passage of the account of, of uh, the trip from uh, from up north down into Bethlehem, and so that they, because of the house and lineage of David, and they were to be taxed, and while in Bethlehem, Mary delivered her baby. We get that. And then the angels came, and they spoke to the shepherds and told them that they would find the child wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So they told them how to identify what it was they're, they're proclaiming to them. And, and we read part of this, verse 15, So it was when the angels had gone away from then into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. So now they're like, man, we were told this. We came into town because we were told about this by the angels. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And I think this is such a magnificent verse. It strikes me every year when I'm reading these accounts at Christmas time, this simple, quiet statement. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. All of this stuff going on around her that we centuries, millennia later, are still talking about and celebrating. She was there living it. And she was pondering it in her heart. The word ponder, it's interesting. As with so many of of the Greek words, uh, it's a two-part word. And it literally means to throw together. Well, how do you ponder out of that? But that's the two parts of the word. So what is it? What, what do you picture in that? The concept of pondering then means you take these, these things and you're putting them together and turning them over. And, and the idea that then the translators will give us, it's like turning something over in your mind. All right, just constantly moving these things together. Actually, when I looked it up, I went, okay, so what, what exactly does that word mean? What I found myself thinking about, I know it sounds crazy, is a tossed salad. You know, you take the big spoon, you take the big fork, and you start flipping all these things together, all of this stuff. You're moving it together. You're tossing it together. And she's there, and all of this stuff is being tossed over and over in her mind. The translators give us She pondered these things. Very close, and I trust it could have been translated also, wonder. It's our time to wonder, to turn over in our minds. Now, what what was it that she was pondering? I I think there's some things that we're given a hint of that, that she was wondering about, because in what's referred to as her Magnificat, when she says in chapter 1, when she met with Elizabeth, and Elizabeth says, what, what goes on here? Because as soon as I heard your voice, my child heard your voice, he jumped in my womb. Blessed are you among women that you are going to give birth. And, and so these women had this incredible moment. And Mary proclaimed this to, with Elizabeth there, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations 
will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. How magnificent is that? One of the things she, I believe she was contemplating as she was at that moment. And, and here she is, this poor, unknown, nobody. She's not even known in that town, right? Because, man, she's way up, up there towards Nazareth. She's a stranger in that town. How much more unknown can you be? She's a stranger in the town. They had no money. Had to give birth in a stable, had to lay her child in a feeding trough. How much, how much lower can you be on the social strata, if you will? And yet, she says, he's put down the powerful and he's remembered the poor. And she understands in the fullness of what is happening there, she understands that, that the world has one way of looking at people and one way of, uh, one way of, uh, uh, of ordering their perception of who's who and who matters and who's what. And she says, but God throws all that out and he takes the powerful and the mighty and the rich and the exalted. He ignores them all and he allows one who is poor to bear the long-awaited Messiah. And she wonders at the magnificence of God's hand. How he worked in such a surprising way. Because we, if we're going to select the person to bear Messiah, right? We're going to want them to be talented. We're going to want them to be wealthy. We're going to want them to have influence. Because, man, you've got to raise this kid right. You've got a big task at him. He's going to save the world. And we're going to want to set the stage so that there's going to be this magnificent, glorious, hey, let's celebrate the birth. And, and, and he, God does it. Couldn't be any further out of phase than the way in which we would do it. And he speaks to all of us and says, I care for those who fear me from generation to generation. I care not about your social strata. I care about you. So don't you think maybe, I mean, what are the questions go through your mind about what was Mary pondering? Just that way, just considering her, it says she pondered. She wondered, what was it? I believe she probably, at least somewhere along the line, asked, what will this child, this baby that she's holding, what will his relationship be with John, her cousin Elizabeth's son, who was born a few months earlier? Because that also was a miraculous birth. There was miracles identified with that. And that's why they came together and why they had that moment as these two pregnant women. Well, what's going to happen here? Can you not imagine that? I can't. She was told that he would be called Emmanuel. God with us. How does she comprehend that? Clearly what she's holding is a real baby. This is a baby. And yet it's God with us. She knew it was a miraculous birth because she had never been with Joseph. So what did she ponder? How, how did this happen? How is this child here? And then when the shepherd's report came, they came in going, Hey, we heard about this. We were met out in the fields by angels. And they come in and they know 
who this child is already. They already know. He's identified. He's in the manger. He's wrapped in clothes. He's an absolute newborn, just been born. And they come telling their story. Do you wonder if, did they compare notes? See, we're not told all of this. This is stuff we'll find out when we get to glory. Did they compare notes? Was it the same angel that announced to her that she'd give birth to the Messiah? Or was there something different about them? She wondered. Christmas is our time to wonder about what God has done. Is it not? Do, do, do any of us fully understand what took place that night? We're so used to recounting the story, we just kind of take it for granted. But do we understand? Here, here's just a couple of thoughts for us to consider. What do angels sound like? I mean, is their voice just really deep and resonating? Is it nasally? Do they somehow speak with a trumpeting sound? I don't, I have no idea. But what do angels sound like? What did they sound like? What did the shepherds actually hear? Were the angels themselves amazed? Think about, ever stop to think about what were the angels thinking? Because what do we know about the angels? Prior to this, the angels been worshiping around the throne of God. Worshiping the triune God, knowing the perfect relationship that exists between Father, Son, and Spirit. They are worshiping there. They know His magnificent glory. And now the second person of those three, the Son, has divested Himself of any, any need to feel, to, to gain honor or glory. Divested himself of, uh, uh, so that He would not be known to be worthy of praise. And He's taken on human flesh. As this baby to this poor, this poor girl, what were they thinking as they watched this unfold? Don't forget, Scripture tells us the angels desire to look into these things. The angels are watching what is happening and what is unfolding. What did the shepherds see that night? What did they say? How did, did they respond? Did they interact with the angels? And when they came and they began speaking about what they had seen and they came and they found the baby, did a crowd gather? Because they didn't just come just tell Mary and Joseph. It says they specifically were telling everybody they could. Well, did then others come and see this baby that the shepherds had talked about? Did Jesus look or behave different than other babies? You know, sometimes we, you know, we sing the songs and it's like, yeah, he never cried. He never wet those swaddling clothes at all, you know. Really? I got a feeling he cried. I got a feeling that he, you know, they needed to change the swaddling clothes from time to time because he was fully human. Did he really have that glow around his face? But there may have been some manifestation that was different about him. I don't know, so I wonder... What did he look like? What I'm trying to get at, friends, is we consider it's our time to wonder about what God has done. We have to embrace the wonderful to get the message. You see, it is beyond us, but it is real. Time, space, history, Jesus 
the second person of the Trinity, humbled himself, took on flesh, that he might become a servant. It's beyond my capacity to understand it. But it is real. Here's a place where, and understand, I love science. I like science. I know some Christians, they almost get like they've got to be opposed to science. I'm not. I have a degree, a science degree. But science has its limitations. And this is one of those places where science just has to stop. Okay, we're, 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 we're hoping, we're praying that science has developed at this point something that when they identify this cancer with Maddie, that they'll know how to treat it. We would love to know that, that science is there and they can deal with this. But science will never explain this. It has its limitations. And the only way we can embrace it is if we open up our minds and say, guess what, science isn't going to ever prove, tell us everything we need to know. And we open up our minds to this concept of wonder. That there is a creator God in the universe who does things that are beyond our scientific understandings. And it is something that is our season. It's our time to wonder about what God has done. And what that says about the God whom we worship. How incredible and amazing and unbelievable he is so that we don't try and confine him into all things understandable. But we simply fall before him and let him reveal himself to us. Let him show himself and his greatness to us. And then we just give him glory. Christmas is our time to wonder about what God has done. And Christmas is our time to wonder about what God will do. Because this creator God who invaded time, space, history on that, on that first Christmas night is still invading time, space, history. He is still making himself known. known. The passage that you know so well because it's recounted in the story when the shepherds came saying, where is he born king of the Jews? And Herod gives a question. And the religious scholars of the day, they give the answer. We know where Messiah is going to be born. Uh, Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you were little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting what I'm trying to point is one single prophetic utterance that was there that identified where Christ needed to be born was fulfilled. And ultimately, as Micah was fulfilled, Micah 5.2, that the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. As Micah was fulfilled, so will all the prophecies concerning the Christ be fulfilled. Jesus said what about the law? Not one jot or tittle would go unsatisfied. You know what that's like? We would say like this. Not one dot on an I, not one cross on a T about who Jesus Christ is and what he's going to accomplish. Not one prophetic utterance, not the tiniest bit of it will be overlooked. He will fulfill all things prophesied of him. And they have not yet all been fulfilled. And we know that from the study. We just spent over a year studying. We understand 
that the first time he came as a servant, but the second time he will come as King of kings and Lord of lords. So it's our time to wonder about what God will do ultimately when the rapture comes. Are we going to be filled with excitement when it's happening if we happen to be here? Are we going to be filled with excitement? Is it going to be this incredible peaceful thing that overtakes us as we're gathered to meet him in the air? Are we going to be unbelievably scared because we don't know what's happening? I don't know. I wonder. Will unbelievers see it? Will they see those being raised from the graves? Will they see their friends and their family members taken up to heaven? Or will God blind them to that as part of a judgment so that they can't understand at that moment? Will the scorpions, this, 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 the revelation references the scorpions, the locusts that sting. Are they going to be actual insects that bring this judgment, that brings the burning and the pain and the, and, and, and the distress upon mankind? Are they actual insects or is that figurative to what John was seeing? Because what he saw was some type of military hardware, something like a Black Hawk helicopter and shooting down at, uh, you know, horrific uh, armaments upon people. And that's all that he could describe it with because he'd never seen any mechanical thing fly. So is it going to be some military hardware that brings this judgment or is it an actual insect? When Christ comes, will he first circle the globe? When he comes on the white horse as king of kings and lord of lords, you know, in my mind, I, I, I can just see this bright light circling the globe, starting at the northern hemisphere, just circling and coming on down and coming around. So everybody gets a chance to see this light. And then it comes out of the sky and clarity begins to show as we realize what that source of light is. And it's gotten everybody's attention. And now he comes. And now you see who it really is. Is the sharp sword that's going to go out of his mouth, is it a visible something that seems to emanate from his mouth? Or is it simply his spoken word? Ephesians 6 tells us that the word of God is the sword of the Lord. So is it possible he just speaks judgment and and the armies are decimated just by his word? I wonder what God will do And we have every reason to be able to wonder, to know, because we know as he fulfilled Micah 5, 2 and all of those other prophecies, he's going to fulfill all the remaining ones. And so we can truly wonder about these things. Here's one that always intrigues me. We know that Scripture says that if you go to chapters uh, 21, 22 of Revelation, we know there's no need for the moon and the sun. Why? Why is there no need for the moon and the sun? Because, right. God and the Lamb, they're the light of the place. Okay, here's a question I find myself wondering about. Does that light cast shadows? Now, I know it sounds crazy, but is that, does that light come from a point? And it emanates from a point so that as if, it light, if the light is here and it's lighting the pulpit, on the other side of the pulpit is a shadow. Or because God is omnipresent, is everything just in light. And there's no shadows. I don't know. But we get to wonder some amazing things, don't we? About what God will do. And that's speaking ultimately.
we also get to wonder about what God will do presently. Until those eschatological things, until those end times things unfold in all of their fullness as they've been revealed to us, God continues to work. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He is invading time, space, history. One of the highlights that I will have that I cannot tell you details on, but one of the highlights that I will take from this Christmas season is watching God clearly move. Clearly move. while I made a turn on this corner one morning. And then understanding the hand of God was right there. He's still at work. So here are the questions that, that we get to wonder about. How is God going to use the power team? Coming in February... There are, different, there are different groups and entities and churches and schools aligning to work together. What is God going to do in northwest Minnesota when the power team comes? And it brings ministry throughout this area. God's going to do something, and we have the joy of wondering and then watching because God is still at work. Here's something. One of the things is, as this, as this, as this year unfolded, I'm sorry, I just found myself again. Why do I never catch on to this? Uh, again, overwhelmed with how God just surprises us, or at least He surprises me. Maybe you guys are far enough along in the journey that you get it, and I still have to, you know, get hit over the head. What's going to happen with mops? They're just getting started. I don't know yet, but it's a significant ministry, and God raised up somebody here to start a mops ministry, ministering to young moms. Now, how cool is that? Now, can I be honest with you? And, and, and I, I hope I don't say anything that is inappropriate. But when Liz had to, Liz Vedbrotten is the one who's starting mops. When she had to be in the hospital for weeks upon weeks upon weeks as they awaited William, I went to visit her. And there was something that she said there just about necessities in their lives right now with the new baby coming that um, the possibility was at that point that she saw they may need to reconnect with their mom's church for the support systems necessary. Okay, so I left there one day going, well, we may never see Eric and Liz again. And that's fine. They've got to do what works for their family. Before the year is done, she's sitting with her board asking if she could start a mops ministry. She left that meeting and I was like, okay, Lord, you surprised me again. Because I wasn't sure we'd see them again. But God is beyond our ability to figure out. And so we can begin to wonder, how will he direct us to use the promised land that sits out here? What a privilege to have these two open lots. And they're being used in different ways throughout the year as needed. Um, but there may be something more that's going to happen. 
What will the man cave look like as a ministry? That we're surprised. Some months ago, Mark Halverson going to get a new job. Okay, wonderful. He sensed that was the right thing to do. I think he's told me he'd been about 16 years at a previous job. Okay, so he gets this new job. His new job has been impacting what's happening in the man cave, and I won't say more than that. But I'll tell you what, if you don't know Mark, here's a guy. He's got a heart for people. Mark, here's how Mark strikes me. I'm sorry, Mark, if I, if I label you wrong. Mark isn't the guy who's got a heart for the hundreds of thousands that are out there that need Jesus. Mark's got a heart for the man standing in front of him who's hurting. And Mark has a heart for him. And so that ministry has looked different these last couple months than anything anybody could have dreamed of. And God surprises us again. Will he bring in new people in the course of this next year? Now I'm looking out on here, and here's, here's a great example. I think we got people here who are longtime families of this church. You were here 20, 22 years ago now. Lori and I were here this week. And, and uh, having our last conversations with you because you'd extended a call and Lori needed to see the place. And 22 years ago, we were here in a much different building in a, with a much smaller congregation. But I, I'm looking at people who were stalwarts for that time. Gary Donarski was there. We have Dieta and Floyd. They were there. Bob was there. We have these long-standing families who are precious to us. And we understand that. And we need them. I mean, I was just thinking this past week how with Floyd and Dieta, you know, they, Floyd was on the board. I think Dieta was a deaconess at the time. And uh, now Jeff is on the board. Jill is very significant to us. And their two sons are here ministering here. I mean, there's three generations here. I mean, this is talking about a legacy, okay? But we know them. We've had them. What I'm asking is, how will God surprise us in 2016? Because in the last few years, those who have... Uh, who have not necessarily been part of the legacies or have been consistently with us. We have seen things happen. I'm looking over here at Jeremy Shervin, and back here is Derek Converse. So you guys don't know it, but God has been using them under Jeff's leadership to shape this room. They're the skilled hands that have been at work in the things that really take skill out here. A few years back, Jeremy, they weren't consistently attending here. And I didn't know who Derek was. And God is using them in significant ways. How do you account for Ryan and Alana? Are they precious? Have you, do you have any sense as to the, the things that Alana has taken on in the course of ministry? ministry-wise, in the course of this last fall. So many of the things that we have been experiencing have been under their leadership. I've already mentioned Liz Vedbrotten relative to Mops. They weren't attending with us regularly all that long ago. And, and as, as I like to say, the Vedbrottens are just taking over because Heather who early on I recognized has, she's got a lot to offer. I mean, she helped me understand whether to take the first trip to Vienna. I actually called her in and 
visited with her about an hour, and I knew there, this, this woman has a lot to offer. But um, she took and, and led and helped organize the ministry of this Sunday school class around the movie The War Room. And I've heard nothing but good things coming out of there about your role, Heather, in that. These are all newer people is what I'm getting at, okay? Yeah, we have the long-standing people who we need and love, but new people, who, what's God going to do presently? What's he going to do that's new in 2016? I don't know. And I could go on and on with that, but I don't want it. I'm going to stop. The clock tells me, you better wrap this up here, Gary, because I also want to ask not only ultimately and not only presently, but I do want to ask personally. The end of the book of John, again, don't worry about it coming on a screen. You'll get it. Okay, at the end of the book of John, we have this well-known account. It's a resurrection appearance of Jesus to his disciples. And it's the last thing that, that John is recounting for us. And he has just told Peter some things about what Peter's ministry is going to be like. And he's just told Peter that he indeed will give his life for the sake of the kingdom. And ultimately, Peter did. So Peter has just gotten this word. And Peter is Peter, right? So we understand. Verse 20 of John 21 says, Then Peter, now that he's received his own instructions, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? We understand that to be John, the writer of the Gospel of John. He does not identify himself ever in the book. Um, but the best indications are it's actually this is how he avoids bringing attention to himself. Um, Lord, um, uh, well, we'll pick it up here. Okay, who, who had leaned on the Lord's breast. Okay, he said, Lord, uh, who, who is the one to betray? Oh, Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, I'm sorry, but Lord, what about this man? He points to John. What about this guy? What, what about him now? You just gave me my marching instructors. What about him? What about him? Jesus said to him, if I will that it remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Peter, you follow me. I have instructions, I have plans, I have insights, I have a will for your life directly, Peter, and I have a will directly for him, but that's not your issue. Peter, your issue is to you follow me. You notice how specific he got with that? Friends, I believe with my whole heart that if we will seek him, Jesus will reveal to each one of us what it is that I am to do, and John, what you are to do, and Adam, what you are to do, and... Jessica. Jess no, it was Jessica. It's going, and just yesterday having a conversation with my sister going, you know how names just escape me now, right? And it's like, and I go, Janessa. No, I have... Two nieces, Janessa and Jessica. And I'm going, Jan no, she's not Janessa. Okay. And what Jessica is to do, and Tara behind her, okay, and Rick Smith, if we will seek him, he desires to reveal to us very specifically what it is he has for us. Three words that I consider might possibly have some things to think about. One, as in this new year, what might he be doing with us very personally? One, mend. The word mend comes to mind. 
where we need to find healing in our lives. He wants to do some mending so that we can find the wholeness. He desires wholeness for us, friends. As he, con- as he conforms us to the image of Jesus Christ, that's not a broken thing. That's a whole thing. That's a restoring thing that he is doing. Now, that mending may take some, uh, some difficult points along the way. We touched on that, yeah, it's our time. We talked about this being our time. We began with our time to speak because we can declare Jesus Christ freely. But we also said it's our time to forgive and it's our time to love. Those things become a little more challenging sometimes, don't they? But God may want to bring mending into our lives as he moves us into a place where we can finally love and forgive those who have wounded us. I'm not saying it's easy. But I am saying God wants us to be whole. And sometimes it's going to take that for some of us. So he's going to mend us in whatever way that we need to be mended if we will seek him. He's going to send us. How exciting will it be to watch that unfold? I've been asked to fill out a number of references for college-age students who want to be ministering in different places around the world in the course of this next year. How exciting is that? How exciting is it to see God move as he sends people out? And we're all very much aware that we have a family here that could be in Nepal in the next few months. They could be in Nepal, infield. And he's going to send an entire family. How exciting is that? So for some of us, it will be a year in which he will mend us personally. For others, it will be a year in which he may send us personally. And then there's just another word that comes to mind. I don't have anything in particular in mind, but I just think about how he might defend for some of us. And it brings me right back to Mary, who pondered these things in her heart. And one of the things she's pondered is how God poured out this rich blessing of bearing the Savior. He poured it out upon a poor, unknown teenager. He cares for the poor. He cares for the broken. He cares for the downtrodden. He desires to come to their aid. He cares for those of us who on a journey as Robin once again. She ministers. My heart is touched every time. But we can sometimes think that, you know, because we're living the Christian life, everything is always great and always this peak things. It's not. Let's live in reality here, friends. It's not. And some of us are just broken. And he will come to our aid. And he will desire to bring wholeness to those places where we have been abused. And we've been broken and busted up. And he will be our defender when the evil one comes with his railing accusations. Ephesians 6 tells us to take up the shield of faith that we may withstand all the fiery darts of the evil one. I think one of those things is that constant. He is the accuser of the brethren, that constant accusation. You're not good enough. You're terrible. You're ugly. You're this. You're that. You'll never be anybody. And Jesus wants to stand in front of all of those darts and say, no, you are in me and you are precious to me and I came for you and I died for you and I'm going to recreate my image in you and you're going to know wholeness and he will defend us. 
We can wonder about what God has done at this season, friends. But it's also our magnificent privilege to wonder about God, what God will do. Ultimately, as Christ returns, presently, as we as a church and churches in the area and believers around the world minister the gospel of Jesus Christ, but perhaps most significantly, personally, that he wants he wants to bring restoration to our lives. Father, thank you for the magnificent hope that is ours as we consider these things, Lord, as we wonder, what are you going to do in 2016, Lord? I've just come to believe you're going to surprise us in many ways. I can't even begin to know what they are, Lord, because they really will be a surprise. But I do pray most specifically for those of us who personally need you to do a significant work in our very depths of our soul, Lord, that this year we will yield ourselves to that, that you will bring great healing to our spirits and wholeness to our lives. For I ask it in Christ's precious name.